Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to the Salty Pastor, and today we once again have a special guest alongside Dr. Douglas Peak, and that would be Zach Peak, uh, Pastor Doug's firstborn son. I am Jesse Mayer, uh, newly uh, minted, minted Lord, Lord of, of Glencoe. Glencoe. So if you missed that on Tuesday, <laughs> go back there and check that out. And we are in the middle of a series titled Essential. With everyone being told whether or not they're essential by society, we wanted to ask the question, what is truly essential in life? What does God say is essential? Zach's going to be preaching um, from the fifth chapter of Ephesians this Sunday, and the topic's going to be on why is marriage essential? Yeah, I'm really excited for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's always fun being up on stage and proclaiming God's truth. Uh, last Tuesday, we dug into kind of what the Bible reveals to be the goal of relationships and what the goal and the uh, the desired behaviors are uh, for between men and women in a marriage and covenantal relationship. Uh, we, we talked about how what the Bible calls marriage, it predates nearly everything. It's mm-hmm. introduced um, the end of the first chapter of Genesis, the beginning of the second. That's where it comes in. It's it predates the fall. It predates religion and Judaism and predates nearly everything in the Bible. It's something that God gave us. It's one of the first things that he gifted to us here on earth. Uh, we talked about how if it's built on the foundation of a covenant, if it's built on Christ himself, it can be the most amazing, beautiful mm-hmm. and joy filled relationship a human will have outside of their relationship with Christ. We talked about how it's excellent for men and women and children. Uh, again, it's, it's an institution. It's a thing that God gave us for us. God didn't need us to be married. He gave it mm. to us because mm. it helps us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we are talking about it as essential. Uh, and then we, we talked about in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes, and he shows us what a great marriage looks like, and he shows us that a great marriage is the closest thing to how Jesus loves his church, and by extension, loves us. Um, mm. However, uh, sin entered into the world mm. yes, after did. God gave us marriage, which it's interesting to, to note that because it means that marriage was something made for paradise that has been corrupted. It's It's been tainted in our current world, and that can make it really hard to have a wonderful and a healthy marriage uh, in today's world. And that seems mm. to be the case today. So many people are struggling to enjoy their relationships with their spouse, Pastor Doug, why is it so hard to experience the joy and beauty of marriage in today's society? Well, I think two really big social uh, shifts have happened, particularly in America, and they've really impacted us a lot. I believe uh, philosophical ideas take root. Those ideas become values Those values drive behavior, and then we reap the harvest of that. So the first thing is this, is that uh, there was a technology that was introduced in the 60s, and it was a revolutionary technology, and that was oral birth control, oral contraception, Mm. and as otherwise known as the pill. And this launched the sexual revolution. It just exploded in the 60s. And what's fascinating is my uh, thesis is that the sexual revolution actually hurt guys more than women, which sounds strange because guys were the most jazzed about the pill, (laughs) right? 
they were the most jazzed about it. But what it did is it freed guys from the commitment of a sexual relationship. And so it could be divorced from a procreative act with God. So this is what I mean by this. And that is, is that men in general tend to focus on things. So like they're, they're interested in objects and numbers and things and mechanical stuff. Not all, but you know, in general, this is, you know, basically psychology 101 and women are predominantly interested in people and relationships, right? So what happened is, is that we were created in the image of God. And as Zach pointed out, this marriage relationship existed before the fall. And so in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were invited with God to create life. See, a lot of people miss this point. And that is, is that when they become one and the two shall become one flesh, this was before the fall, right? right. Before the sin came in. So they were in that moment, God was saying, you and I are going to create living souls together. Hmm. So that's the one thing where we create with God. And so when the sexual revolution came in, what it basically did is it said, guys, you're not co-creators with God anymore. You're just driven by sex. And so go have fun. And that's the way boys think. You know, boys think, oh, wow, that's cool. It's like going in a candy store. All I want to do is eat candy. You know, you look at the archetypal stories that were a part of our history, like uh, Pinocchio, right? What, what does he do? He goes to the island, you know, of, of uh, what is it? I, it's not uh, Lost Boys. That's uh, Peter Pan. I but I keep thinking Peter Pan. Peter Pan. <laughs> well, I wanted to say Misfit Toys, but I think that's yeah. Rudolph. <laughs> that's, that's Rudolph. <laughs> man, we need to get our archetypes. There's too many islands, man. But, you but know, Hansel the Pied, well. yeah, the Pied Piper, yeah. what, comes in the story of Pinocchio and leads the boys to this place of perpetual fun, right? And what do all the boys turn into? Donkeys. Right. So they turn into donkeys. And when in, in that archetype, that basically means is that you're not a man, you're a jackass. And that's what is happening in our world today. See, it's salty pastor. And we had the salty sun on Tuesday. So I think it was time to. <laughs> so sexual revolution pastor. has hurt guys more than women because it freed them from their highest calling. And that is men are called to build. They're called to protect. They're called to create. And when men are, are engaged in that endeavor, they become incredible human beings. But if you free them from commitment, you free them responsibility, you free them from creation and free them from building, guess what? It, they, they are reduced to their basic physical drives and their spiritual soul is as dry as a desert. And this is really the problem in porn is that, you know, you think you're drinking from a fire hydrant, but in reality, you're drinking salt water. And if you've ever uh, read much about people who are lost at sea, they have all this water, but they die of thirst. And the more salt water they drink to quench the thirst, what does it do? It hastens their demise because the salt just sucks it out of them. And so it kills you. And that's, that's what has happened to men's souls is they think they're swimming in an ocean, you know, when they get involved in pornography, but really they're drinking salt water 
and it's killing them. And so this is what's really, really sad, I believe, is because they've lost the covenant of marriage and the sexual revolution cheated men much more than it ever cheated women. It really, in that sense. So the end result was an inverted uh, a role of men. Men were called to exhibit restraining behavior by elevating the value of women. You know, this is the whole notion of honor and chivalry and responsibility. All those things were accepted by men. And when men accepted those things, they became incredible men, incredible leaders, incredible adventurers. They, I mean, men were just awesome and incredible. And that's been lost. Why? Because honor is dead and chivalry is dead and creativity is dead. And why is that? Because, well, men aren't called to treat women now with respect and honor. You know, um, uh, today, the yes or no to sex is purely on the woman. You know, a guy's role is just to go out and ask as much as he can. Mm. Right. Whereas 150 years ago, it was all on the man. See, and it was all on. It was he would never do that. He would never uh, tempt a woman that way. And that's just how much it's inverted. And so that's a cultural revolution, sexual revolution, excuse me, um, in the 60s that has hurt uh, men in particular, because it steals us from all of the things that help us discover true masculinity and true manhood. The other big thing that happened in the 60s is because of the pill is what I call the birth of actual feminism. Now, what, what's salty about this is that today's feminists all say, well, feminism started back in the 1800s with women's suffrage and the temperance movements, and they call that first wave feminism. And then the right to, you know, suffrage was the right to vote. And that was second wave feminism. And now we're into this new feminism. But, but my contention is this, and that is, is that uh, these early movements, uh, almost all of them were birthed out of the church. Uh, what people are uh, forget, and this is never taught in school, is there were three great spiritual awakenings in America. Okay, the first one was in the early 1700s, and that really influenced the American Revolution. Then the second one was in the early 1800s, and that really influenced the whole notion of abolition of slavery. And then there was a third great awakening in the late 1800s, very late 1800s. It was a massive great awakening, people turning to Christ in droves. And what did that do? is that launched this whole thing about women's temperance and women's suffrage. Now, if you really want to dig into the history, you have to ask yourself, why were women denied the right to vote? Why were women uh, so involved in the temperance movement? And so, well, the reasons for that were not because of the role of the church. As a matter of fact, these movements started in the church because in the church was the one place where women had the most amount of freedom. And it comes out of the oppressive uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, it was the divine right of kings and the divine right of bloodlines and all this kind of stuff out of feudalism. And I, I can't go too much into this, but basically what it was is it was to protect the male bloodlines. And so that that filtered down into society. And so it kept to try to keep women from having rights, you see. And so it wasn't so much as a chauvinism, but it was a unbiblical, it was an unchristian 
right approach to managing society and if you're not aware feudalism is a form of economic slavery by the way and christianity is one of the primary influences in western civilization that ended feudalism so uh that's a whole nother podcast right there (laughs) but basically my point being is that women's suffrage uh resulted which meaning women having the right to vote own property and all that kind of stuff ended with the 19th amendment and it was voted on in the 66th congress okay now here's what's interesting how many women were in the 66th congress of the united states do either of you know i would assume zero i I would i would guess zero as well that is correct there were zero women right so what would vote what would motivate all of those men to vote for the women's right to vote okay so it was a value right Mm -hmm. that they saw needed to happen what molds and shapes our values our beliefs and what forms our beliefs it's our philosophical worldview forms our belief and what was the most massive philosophical worldview shift prior to this the third great awakening in america so it was it was really quite amazing now also what happened is world war one happened in that period of time and the role of women was seen to be so significant in helping win world war one through america and that's because the women's suffrage movements all adopted a strong patriotism and so these things coalesce. Now you'll hear about World War I and the changing role of women, so, but you'll never hear about the Great Awakening and its influence on adopting this new value. So because of that, uh, the, in my opinion, is that what we know as feminism today was birthed in the 60s, so much so. And what's really fascinating about it is this, is uh, feminism since the 60s has made a partnership with the Frankfurt School of Social Theory, which we've talked about before. Once or twice. (laughs) Once or twice. And their partnership was basically uh, that there was an emphasis that uh, women don't need men. You know, Gloria Steinem in the 70s had a famous saying. She said, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. And so... Uh, this was very early on uh, a very anti-male movement, right? And it started very benignly, you know? Uh, but today, one of its primary tenets is toxic masculinity. And the reason why this is a problem is because in a postmodern deconstruction thing, we're redefining terms and this is how it works. It starts off with the really benign. And that is you see a man uh, and for whatever reason, he uh, is violent towards his wife, right? He abuses his wife. And so feminists say, well, see, that's toxic masculinity. And the emphasis at that time was, well, it's because he's a male that he did this. Well, a biblical worldview says, no, it's not because he's male. It's because he's, sinful sin is what causes this you see domestic violence is that it's violence right but by saying that well um because then the contention was well only males commit domestic violence 
Well, talk to any cop on the street who has to answer domestic violence calls and they'll tell you right up front. It says, no, there's a, bit, uh, there's a lot of women that are pretty healthy with the frying pan. You know, they get mad and you put drugs in that. And so the issue with domestic violence is sinful behavior of human people. So the emphasis is on masculine or men. And so what happens, though, is then over time, everything that's masculine is then called toxic. You see, so when so it's associated with fact, well, that's maleness. And and here's something that I hear really today that I think is really, really detrimental to boys. And that is this, is that women say, I want to raise a sensitive boy who's in touch with his feelings, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that is the most misguided thing I have ever heard, because what you're assuming as a female, that he is going to deal with his emotions in the same way that a female does. Okay. And I'll tell you this much is that when guys let their feelings out of control, that is a disaster. It's an absolute disaster because they're prone towards violence. They're, they're anger. They're, they'll erupt as volcanoes. What I did with my boys, very on, very different from my daughter. And that is, is that your feelings are real. Your feelings are strong. Don't deny that you have feelings, but learn to control your feelings. Women are taught to express their feelings, right? To feel their feelings. But that's because their physiological makeup in regards to their emotional center is totally different than the brain of a male that has raging testosterone through it. You know, if you tell a young boy, are you angry or not? Feel your anger, express your anger. What's that kid going to do? He's going to pick up a hammer and go smash things because his testosterone is raging through his body. He says, that's the solution. No, what other men who raise boys do is say, are you angry? Yes. Admit your anger. Yes. I'm so mad. And most dads and most fathers and most mentors then say to the young man, say, okay, what are you going to do with that? And that question right there gives young boys the opportunity to realize, you know what? My, my emotions don't control me. Mm-hmm. I am a man. I can control my emotions. And so, because testosterone is running through your system. And I'll tell you what, if you become angry in that moment, you have a choice. And I'll tell you what, a lot of young boys today choose to let their anger fly. And that is never good. Okay, so that's not an issue of masculinity. That's an issue of sin and how do men control the temptation of sin in their life different than women? Mm. So it's not a denial of feelings. It's not a denial of emotions. It's just a different approach on how do you deal with and manage them, see? And right now you have all these women that are trying to raise boys to be girls, and that just doesn't work. It's a denial of the way God created them. So a few years back, there was, which in, in my book now, that means probably 10 years, not three years. <laughs> a few year, years kind of blend together. They this all blend together, been 25 yeah. 25 years ago, it could have been yesterday. <laughs> there was a young couple that came to our church. The, the guy, he was a really nice guy, pretty laid back. He's kind of quiet. His wife was super smart, super sharp, you know, and I, she was involved, I don't know, in healthcare, advocacy. Or I can't remember what it was, you know, but she was a a lot more outgoing, sanguine personality, but she was very strong, very opinionated. And, and they came to faith and they were kind of growing. And, 
And, uh, I, I got up and I, uh, I, cause I've been talking about this for over 10 years now that it's not good to buy into, as I've said before, whether it's racial or any type of group, you know, when we buy into group identities and we pick groups over one group or another, it's not healthy. And so I talked about how saying, look, let's, let's not use the term toxic masculinity because that communicates to young boys that just being a a man is toxic, Mm. you know, and I don't think that's healthy for them at all. Uh, Sin is toxic. You know, boys are not toxic. Girls are not toxic. Sin is toxic. Right. You know, and so let's get our terminology right. And so I talked about that and she came up to me and she says, well, I'm a feminist and you, you don't understand what feminism is. And I said, I probably know more about feminism than you do. And she said, well, Webster's <laughs> defined. That, did you? Yeah. Oh, boy. OK. <laughs> Uh, that, that that's yeah that's uh, I'm being honest that's uh, she you know because she came the at me salty strong, pastor I, said, the I, I just don't think you understand <laughs> I know more about it than you do and she says all it means is that women and men should be paid equal for equal work and I said well first of all nobody disagrees with that she goes yes they do and I go tell me who Tell, tell who's, me who's marching down the street. Yeah. Who's they don't deserve more money. Yeah. And who who and my point isn't that we shouldn't work towards more equity in situations. That's that was my point. My point is, is that is that what people do all the time is they create a straw man. And this in logic is a fallacy. You say somebody believes that when they don't believe that. And then you can easily tear it down. And by default, you're tearing their position down, which, but I don't know of any movements other than some really, really weirdos over the last hundred years in America in particular that ever argued that specifically. Now you might, you know, you could point to some very small anecdotal evidences where you had old boy networks that would get together and, and try to do things. But in general, the position of the church has pretty much not only been that, form of equal value but equal uh uh pay these types of things all across the board so no one argues. so we, we got in a discussion and of course she left in a huff and she posted on social media that that uh, i was satan and i believe all these things that i don't believe and she said i said things that i didn't say which i just chalked that up to see that is immaturity within about four or five years later ran her husband they're divorced. Hmm. So I was talking to him, said, Hey, what happened? And he, you know, was bitter. And he said a few things and I said, no, no. Okay. What did she say? He said, well, she doesn't respect me anymore. She needed somebody she could respect. And I said, do you think that was the issue? And he said to me, no, she's just not a happy person. There's a professor at, uh, Boise State University and boy he has done some top notch work and he wrote an article that just came out a big essay and it it was it was titled that the false science of feminism and he said the dad is in and that is women are not happy and just listen to some statistics of what's happened right now it said after the feminist takeover of our culture women are more depressed than they previously were a 2017 meta-analysis. A meta-analysis is when they go through all of these studies, you know, and try to find patterns. Found that 10% of all women are depressed. Only 5% of men are. The gap is counterintuitively, the author suggests, because bigger in countries that emphasize sexual equality. So the more they emphasize sexual equality, the more women are depressed than men. 
In major depression meta-analysis, gender differences in depression diagnosis were larger in nations where women had more control over their reproduction, held more executive positions, and were more similar to men in literary rates. Isn't that interesting? Researchers measured depression according to consistent professional standards, allowing for comparison over time. The numbers for depressed females could be as high as 22%, according to a 2012 study measuring major depressive episodes in one year. Rates of major depressive episodes were much lower in previous generations, where lifetime rates were between 6.3 and 8%. And now they're upwards of 22% in a single year. That's math. Tell me, math guy, is that massive? That's really big. That's a really, that's significant. The technical term for that is very big. (laughs) Very big. You got such fancy words there. You know, so, so what's the point? And the point is, is that some women who hear this are going to just reject what I'm saying. But I want you to understand the heart with what I'm saying. And that is, is that my hope for you as a female is that you discover who you truly are in Christ so that you can be the most fulfilled, the most joyous, the most healthy human being that you were created to be. And the problem is, is the world comes up with all these ideologies all the time, whether it's for men or whether it's for women. And what it does is it sounds good on the surface. Oh, this is the water I need to quench the thirst of my soul. And you find out you're drinking from a poisoned well. And it just destroys your soul. And so you're not happy. And so this is what Satan does. is Satan's only tool. He can't create anything. So his only tool is perversion. To twist and to deceive. That's it. So the sexual revolution hurt guys more than women. Feminism is hurting women more than it hurts guys. And so I think that that's why being married is so hard today because women are coming at it. You need to treat me like an equal so that I'll feel affirmed. And then that doesn't work. So the problem is obviously his fault, right? Men come at it from the perspective that sex is sex. Let's just have more sex, right? And she feels like a sexual object because that's all he wants is sex. Why? Well, because he lives in a culture where he was raised in a sexual revolution that divorced sex and the act of sex from the honor, the virtue, and the... uh, value of a woman so what's happening is you have a man with a warp sense right and a woman with a warp sense coming together and trying to find a covenantal relationship do you see why it's so difficult now yes and so i think that's really the biggest two social influencers that are happening and this is why um I think Zach will attest to this. I I get annoyed. You know, I don't just get sad. I get annoyed. When churches jump on bandwagons and try to pick these things up and run with them, because then they just reinforce these paradigms, these ways of thinking that end up continuing the outcome that people are getting. You know, they, they have the same paradigmatic structure, the same underlying beliefs, the same philosophy, the same values. They just put Christian names on them, right? Mm -hmm. 
instead of going back and saying, okay, wait, 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 let's throw all this out and say, okay, like you were saying um, on Tuesday and you said earlier today, is that what is God's definition of love? And let's live by that and see what happens. So that to me is really the ultimate uh, challenge for anybody who wants to figure out how to be truly happy and live the closest thing to heaven on earth. And that is a happy, loving, fulfilling, God-honoring, covenantal marriage. So we're, we're getting close to the end, but I do want to uh, finish up with some takeaways. Um, Zach's preaching on Sunday. Um, what are your guys's two, you know, what are, what are some takeaways before we go into Sunday's message that after all the things we've talked about between Tuesday and Thursday, what should people be taking away? I think one of the takeaways, and it's not just from, from this week, but it, it amazes me how similar, it's not surprising, but it is amazing how similar some of the language you use today was to the language you used last Thursday mm-hmm. when you discussed uh, in Ephesians where Paul says there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, mm-hmm. you know, and, and talking about there is no circumcised, there is no uncircumcised, and talking about this in terms of race, and not, not as much in the sexual revolution, more in the discussion on feminism, you used very similar language um, about how it's essentially about power. Yeah. And, and I think that one of the big takeaways, again, not just from this week, but from the last couple of weeks, is that one of the positions, one of the things that's taken root in our culture in America is this Frankfurt uh, School of Social Theory that everything, every interaction, every relationship that you have is about the power that you have. Yeah. And that is the complete opposite of what Jesus taught us. Yeah. Jesus did not come here mm. for power. Jesus did not come here to show his power. Is it in Philippians that it says that he lowered himself? Yes. Or he, he emptied himself he of emptied all himself power. He gave then, all power up. Mm-hmm. And he he did not seek equality with God. That's correct. Yeah, exactly. And Jesus was here. It was, he divorced himself from power. It was a Mm -hmm. purposeful choice. And when we view our relationships, you know, whether it be relationships uh, across racial lines or across ethnic lines, or whether it be a relationship with your spouse, if you view that as a relationship of power and you think in terms of how, you know, if you're a guy and you think in terms of how much sex can I have with my wife? If you're a woman and you think in terms of, well, how much power do I have in this relationship? Cause I need to be equal in terms of power that destroys relationships. Like yeah. you said, that is Power is poison to relationships because Jesus' love does not involve power. Jesus came here, and the most powerful thing that Jesus did, one of them, was wash his disciples' feet. It was to lower himself to the lowest level of servitude Mm -hmm. in their culture and to do it for the men who were supposed to be following him. Mm. And so I would say one of the biggest takeaways is whenever you have a thought in your marriage, whether it be positive, whether it be negative, whenever you're thinking of a behavior, I would encourage you to step back and think, am I seeking power here? Because if you are 
treating your marriage as something that you should have power in if you were a man and you're trying to have power over your wife to get what you want, whether it be sex or whether it be relaxation, whether it be time to yourself or with her, whatever it may be. If you're a woman and you're trying to have power in the relationship because you know, you're know you a woman and you're equal and, and the guy needs to respect you, if your desire mm-hmm. is to have power, then the sad thing is you're probably going to get it. But yeah. that's going to kill the relationship. That's going to kill And the it. thing that's more important than power, and this is what Jesus proved over and over and over again, the thing that's so much more important than power and what true power is, is to love. To love. It's to take a step back. It's to be selfless. And it's to use God's definition of love. And God's definition of love does not involve power in a relationship. Mm-hmm. It does not involve trying to, to have more power or to get what you want. It it is about being guided by love and following his way and not following his way to make him feel good about himself because he's God. He's going to be just fine either way. It's the reason that following his way is better is because it helps us. It's essential to us. It's essential to our souls to follow his way. Yeah. And what's interesting is what you're talking about is so true, but it's so counterintuitive to our nature. And I think this is why Jesus said that the road to life is narrow and few are those who find it. My prayer for you is, is uh, all you are listening is that you find it. That's why we do what we do. This is why I do what I do is because I want you to find the life that Christ has promised you. Well, this has been an amazing week. Zach, thank you again for joining us. Um, we're very excited to hear what you have to say on Sunday. Um, hopefully this has primed your guys' pumps for, um, for what we're going to be discussing. Um, make sure you're reading Ephesians chapter 5 so you're, yes. you can be um, on top of what we're discussing. Um, make sure you share this podcast with a friend. Don't let this mm-hmm. just be here for people just in foothills. Make sure you're sharing this with people because people need to hear these words. This is so counterintuitive to what we're taught in school what people believe in general um and it's warping everyone's sense of what a real marriage is so yeah. share this podcast with people that you care about or even people you don't care about mm-hmm. because we should be loving everybody so. and i will put the link for that uh that article with from all the BSU's data from bsu professor. yeah so you can throw it in perfect that'll be in the show notes yeah show so, notes um thank you guys so much for joining us Please tune in Sunday so that you can uh, listen to the sermon, and we will see you next week. Blessings. Bye, everyone.